All right, well, we have uh, an exciting kind of sermon series to begin this ministry year, and it is on Christian cliches. The, the whole concept here is sometimes we begin to believe things that are said if we hear them over time, right? We, we hear a quote, and, and we begin to believe that that quote is true. I, I was going to put something up on the screen, and I forgot to do it. It's a picture of Abraham Lincoln with a quote that said, you can't believe everything you read on the Internet, right? You, you, you can't believe everything because not every quote is necessarily true. I forgot the little clicker, but I think I have this up here. One quote is this, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing, Edmund Burke. Or the next one, we have this one. Beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Now, the funny thing about it is that you cannot find a source of an interview or something that they wrote that shows that Franklin said this or that Burke said that good men doing nothing would make evil triumph. Sometimes we, we have misquoted statements. If we go to the next one, I think it says, the devil is in the details. Well, that's a misquote, because he actually never said that. He said God was in the details. Hmm, interesting. Or sometimes we remember things a little bit wrong, and, and we think it's in the Bible, but it's really not. Like this next one that says, money is the root of all evil. Well, that's not, that, that's, those words are there, but it's actually the love of money is the root of all evil. Over the next few weeks, we're going to take just a few. There's, there's these Christian cliches that we hear often, that, that Jesus never said them, that you can't find them in the Bible explicitly. You could say these Christian cliches are half-truths. Maybe there's some semblance, some little bit of truth within it, but not the whole thing. And so we're going to look at at three of them, and you can probably think of more, and, and I know Tom has shared a couple with me, and there's others that have shared other ones that maybe we'll have to reprise this series again and, and do, is it in the Bible, part two. But we're going to look at three, love the sinner, hate the sin, God helps those who help themselves, and God won't give you more than you can handle. So that's what the next three sermon series titles will be. Maybe you've heard these statements before, maybe you've even repeated them and, and said them yourself, and my goal here is to not make you feel bad about saying them. That's fine, but let's look at what Scripture has to say to see how much of each of these statements has truth. Let's us dive into Scripture to, to find out what Scripture really says about them. So, you know, these are going to be a little bit different than most of my other sermons, I'm going to just put that out there. Usually, we will start with one passage, and we'll look at that, and then we'll kind of go through that one passage, gleaning. We're going to be all over the place right now in Scripture, and so you got to get your, your Scripture-finding fingers ready, otherwise they're going to be on the screen as well. So let's join together. We're going to think about love the sinner, hate the sin. You know, uh, someone from church had a conversation with their neighbor, and, you know, uh, he said, yeah, you know, I said we're doing this, and the person's like, well, you know, we're not supposed to like sin. 
You're supposed to love people. Kind of makes sense, right? It sounds like something that you would find in the Bible. You know, Jesus, you know, oftentimes that's used as a phrase to, to not judge. And Jesus would say, well, you know, that we necessarily shouldn't judge. Don't judge so that you won't be judged, right? Matthew chapter 7. If we think on the, the surface, it sounds good, but right, Jesus never said it. He never explicitly said it. So where, where did this phrase come from? Well, author and biblical scholar Adam Hamilton, he's got this book that is called Half-Truths. And he said this phrase originated with St. Augustine, which is this bishop in the church from, from North Africa who lived in the 4th and 5th centuries. And it's, it's said that in one of his letters, it's not said, it's written in one of his letters, that he called people the people he's writing to, to have a love for mankind and a hatred of sin. The only other person to have stated this in, in writing is Gandhi. And, and Gandhi has a much larger quote in his uh, autobiography from 1929. He said, hate the sin and not the sinner is a precept which, though easily enough to understand, is rarely practiced. And that's why the poison of hatred spreads in this world. So maybe that's where we, we come from, get this phrase, but what does Scripture have to say about this phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin? We're going to start with this, this last word, sin. The Old Testament has a kind of a basic word for sin, which is chata. All right, I want you to say that. You got to, okay? Right, one, two, three. There you go, chata. It means to miss the mark. Sin is, in essence, missing the mark. So we believe that God has created everything good. That's what we, we read about in Genesis chapter 1. God created everything good. All the, the matter, all the things, all the animals, all the the fruit, all the produce, all the trees, everything that was here on earth was good. But sin, chata, missing the mark, means we take God's good gifts, his things which he's given us, and we, we bring them in a direction that was unintended. Like when you, you take the egg that you like to eat in the morning and you, instead of putting it in the pan and frying it up over easy, you take it and throw it at somebody's house, taking the good gift of God and putting it in a way that perhaps he didn't direct you to use it. Or you could think of other things as well. You could think of nuclear power and energy, a potential good gift that God gave us to, to power much many homes and many things, but it could be used in a very destructive way that it perhaps was not intended to destroy people in homes. Taking God's good gifts, kata, and moving them in a direction that they were not intended. Taking them and, and using them against our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our voices which God gave us that he, he wants us to have fruitful things come out of spew hurt and anger. And the thing about missing the mark, if we go to the, the next passage, is Romans 3.23. I 
I think, I hope. There you go. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For everyone is missing the mark. We're, we're not hitting the, the place that we're supposed to. We're, we're missing it. And, and sin to God is some serious business. Because later on in Romans, in chapter 6, verse 3, we read the following words. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, even Jesus talked about how serious sin was. For example, Jesus said that if one of you is angry at a brother and sister, that they would be in danger of judgment. Or in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, if your right eye or hand cause you to sin, then you should cut it off. Now, Jesus isn't literally saying to go get a hatchet or knife and you know, gouge your eyes out or, or, or cut your hands off. But he's trying to say that sin is serious. It's one of those ways that we, we are kept from God's presence. Ta-ta, we're, we're missing the mark. We're, we're going in the, the wrong direction, taking the things that God has for us, those good gifts, and bringing them in a direction which causes us to be destructive to cause us to to hurt others, to miss the mark. And in essence, it it just hurts us, you and me, as as we we can't be close to God and who he is. Sin, missing the mark. We're going to switch gears. We're going to think about this word love now, though. How many of you think that the Bible has something to say about love? How many of you think that Jesus said something about love. It's not everyone. So it, it, it does, okay, right? Uh, how many of you think that Jesus said love the sinner? Right? No, he, he didn't. But we can find a lot of places where Jesus said to love different people. Mark twelve thirty one. I think that'll be on the screen. He's talking about the the greatest commandment, and he gives the greatest commandment, and then he gives the second one. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. We can find places in Scripture where Jesus says to love others as well. Go to the next slide. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then you go to the next one in John 15. My command is this, love each other, yeah. So, love our, our neighbor, love our enemy, love each other, but we cannot find love the sinner. Never saying love the sinner, and I think this is where maybe this statement, love the sinner, hate the sin, falls apart. Perhaps Jesus never said love the sinner because we all are. If you think about love your neighbor, love your enemy, love one another, well, if all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it's kind of redundant to say love the sinner because all of those people groups are. You know, it's, it's maybe something else, though. Because if you say love the sinner, you're focusing on 
the sin. You're looking at someone's life and, and not perhaps loving them as genuinely as you would if you said love your neighbor. Maybe it would have a negative aspect in our relationship that instead of, of looking at others in a loving, friendly way, that we would begin looking at them in a non-neighborly way. Saying, well, you're a sinner, but I love you anyway. Perhaps Jesus wanted to avoid kind of the self-righteous nature that was a part of the world in that day. We could think of the Pharisees, where they were putting people in boxes and saying that they were righteous and that others were sinners. And so here's an example of what I'm speaking of. Uh, Luke 18, chapter 10, or sorry, Luke 18, verses 10 through 14. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee was, was creating boxes of, of people who were in and people who were out. And he, and he was entirely missing the whole purpose of the people of Israel, which was to bless the nations, bless all people. When, when Jesus talks about sin, he often focuses on those who considered them self-righteous religious leaders. You know, when Jesus speaks to sinful people, though, he largely doesn't focus on their sin. He's not the one who usually brings it up. It's the people who bring it to Jesus. I'll give you an example. In Luke chapter 7, there's a, a woman who crashes the party. She heads into this, this home and, and has this uh, ointment to anoint Jesus' people and Simon and others that are there is like, how can you let this adulterer, this sinner do this to you? And Jesus' response is without naming her sin is that your sins are forgiven. Perhaps instead of saying love the sinner, hate the sin, Jesus didn't want to direct all our attention to that one thing to be the focus. Be like, I love Randy because he does sound, right? He's, he's my neighbor. I, I love Harvey because he lives in Princeton Estates, right? I, I love my wife because she's so gracious to me. But, you know, those other people, well, you know, I love them because they're, they're sinners. 
That's not quite the way. Instead, Jesus says, love your neighbor, love your enemy, and love one another, which encompasses everyone that we meet. It's Jesus who chose to draw people to himself through love. The book of Romans says this, Romans 12, 9, our love must be sincere. And maybe this is why some people say, hate this and hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And because Christ's love was so sincere that he came to save all of us, if we go to 1 Timothy 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 15, here, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then the next verse of whom I am the worst. Jesus didn't say, love the sinner, hate the sin. I wonder what he would say instead. Maybe love your neighbor despite the fact that you're a sinner. In other words, as, as a follower of Jesus, I love you because you're a person who is in need of love and God's love has the power to change my life. When we think about the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin, we must remember that, yeah, sin is in the world. It's when that good creation is taken in a different direction that results in hurt and pain and broken relationships. And, and we must not only look to others as those who do those things. We too must be painfully aware and, and regularly inviting ourselves to have God transform our lives, to forgive us, which he will, to heal us, which he will do through the Spirit, and to transform our lives, to fully embody that way in which he loved a creation that didn't love him back. Perhaps we could consider a famous phrase from Billy Graham where he said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. I think that would include ourselves, right? It's God's job to judge. And it's our job to love. So instead of living our life saying the words, love the sinner, hate the sin. Let's say these words instead. Let's love one another and strive to lay aside our own sin, demonstrating humility and grace to others. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that your love towards us went to the cross, that you had such a self-sacrificial love for us that you desired to sacrifice of yourself in order to see that love through in relationships restored. It's our hope, Lord, that we who have experienced this amazing and deep love that you have for us, that we would love one another deeply and sincerely and graciously and in the process that we would 
look to ourselves and lay down our own sin rather than focusing on the sin of the other. For it's you who said, why do you look at the speck in your neighbor's eye and ignore the log in our own? So bring those logs, those ways where we miss the mark to our eyes that we can more fully and graciously love others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.